What do you do when something really, really good happens to you? What do you do when something amazing happens to you or for you? Do you give yourself a clap? Do you pump a fist? Yes. Do you say amen? Or do you do a victory dance? Yeah. Ever done a victory dance? Refund check comes in the mail. Cop was going to pull you over, but then he just keeps going. You're like, yes, got a good grade on your last test. Do you have a victory dance? The, do the little car thing, or I don't know what the kids do these days. Do you have a victory dance? Maybe you've never won a victory. Maybe you have. When I first came to the U.S., I started watching American football, never seen that before. But I noticed that every time somebody scored a touchdown, they would spike the ball, right? They spike the ball. But some guys would do something crazy. They'd do their legs like this or the icky shuffle. Anybody know? Nobody? Icky shuffle. Lots of different things called a victory dance. Everyone has one, right? If something really good happens to you, you've got to celebrate that. You've got to do it. You've got to, you've got to do something. Or do you really do, give yourself a golf clap or yes. Thank you. That's good. No, a victory dance. And that's exactly what is taking place here in the book of Exodus chapter 15. The Israelites are doing a victory dance. Open up your Bibles, please. We're in the book of Exodus chapter 15. If nothing good has ever happened to you, I'm really, really sorry. I hope that changes. But if something good has happened to you, undoubtedly you've probably danced a little. I want you to know it's okay. The Israelites show us the way. In fact... I think they originated the victory dance. I'm about to show you. We are in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, second book of the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Just a few verses before, this is what it says. Verse 30 of chapter 14. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power God had displayed against them, the people feared God. They put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Verse 1 of chapter 15. Then Moses and Israel and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. Last week we began to tell the story and uncover um, the, 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 these moments in the history of the people of Israel. So I'm going to paint the picture very quickly for you. For hundreds of years, the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, have been living under Egyptian rule as slaves. For hundreds of years, they knew nothing except being beat down like slaves. And there they cried out to God. And the Bible tells us that God heard and he sent somebody. His name was Moses to help get them out of those circumstances and lead them towards the promised land. And you know the story. You saw the movie. Moses comes and by God's great power, demonstrating, flexing God's power on their behalf with the ten plagues. You remember those? We talked about those last week. He was able to lead the people in this mass exodus out of Egypt. It's a fantastic story. Movies have been made about it. And they leave. About a million people, 600,000 men plus women and children, over a million people along with their cattle, their stuff, all their things that are making their way out through the desert. We talked about this last week. And God was leading them through this desert to the promised land. But along the way, God makes them turn around and camp right next to the Red Sea. At first, 
At first, the Israelites don't know what's going on, but God has miraculously delivered them from slavery, so they trust him. But then we read last week that as they're camping by the shore of the Red Sea, they look up and they see the Egyptians bearing down on them, and they are in this place, stuck between a rock and a hard place of sorts. It's either die at the hands of the Egyptians or walk into the water and drown. That's where they were. That's what we talked about last week. They're caught in this predicament. They can't seem to get out of it. They don't know what they're going to do. So they begin to cry out to God and they say, what have you done? Why bring us out here just to have us killed? And Moses responds. Remember from last week, Moses says, hang in there. Stand firm. Don't be afraid. God will deliver you. And sure enough, God's miraculous power begins to flex itself on their behalf. That pillar that cloud of fire and of shade during the day, fire by night, removes, comes to the back of the camp and separates the Egyptians and the Israelites. And then during the night, during the night, the Egyptians could not see if it was fully dark, but the uh, Israelites had, had this light, and this light shone over the Red Sea. And chapter 14 tells us that God speaks to Moses, and he says, raise up your hands. And Moses raises his hands, and God sends a great wind, and the sea opens. The Red Sea opens. You know the story, right? You've seen the pictures as a kid, probably in a Bible story time. And the Israelites are able to walk on dry ground across this Red Sea during the middle of the night. And about 5.30 in the morning, just before sunrise, they had all made it all the way across. And as they made it to the other side, that cloud got up once again and moved to the front of the camp. And while it was moving, the Egyptians were able to see the Red Sea and say, hey, how did they get across? It looks like it's dry. Let's go after them. Bible tells us in chapter 14 that they raced in after them. And then God tells Moses, raise up your hands again. Moses raises his hands. And the Red Sea closes in. And all of the Egyptians, chariots, horses, soldiers, all drown. Meanwhile, on the other side of the Red Sea, the Israelites are standing and watching this take place. And as soon as they see God bringing back the waters and swallowing up, they remember Moses' words. Moses had said on the other side of the shore, he had said this, Don't be afraid. God will deliver you today. This is what Moses made. This is the claim he made. These Egyptians, you will never see them again, for God is going to deliver you. So now they're on the other side, and it's coming to pass. God brings the water, and they drown. And the Israelites are on this side. Fascinatingly, they almost made it across. So the, so the Israelites don't only see their enemies defeated, but all their spoils, their swords, their shields, all that stuff lands on the shore. And you know what they do? They dance. They begin to celebrate. And they write a song. Moses and his sister write a song. And they begin to sing a song and do a dance of praise. Let's read it, okay? It's in chapter 15. This is the song that Moses and the Israelites sang. I will sing unto the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Horse and rider has, he has hurled into the sea. For God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Last week I attempted to sing the song. Y'all looked at me like I was strange. So you apparently didn't go to San Diego Academy when you were little when they teach you how to sing this song. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt. No one? one okay okay the lord is a warrior the lord is his name ferrets chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea the best of pharaoh's officers are drowned in the red sea don't know that one 
Down in the sea? Okay, no one. All right. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand shattered the enemy. In the greatest of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy boasted. They're telling you the story. I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them and they sank like dead, like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. So they begin to compose this ode of gratitude to God, where they're telling us the story. They're saying, those Egyptians, they thought they were going to come across and slaughter us, but you, O God, by your great mighty power, have swallowed them up. Then, they're doing a victory dance, a victory chant and a victory dance. Let's keep going. It says this, in verse 13, chapter 15, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized and trembling. I don't know how you sing these verses, honestly. I don't know what kind of melody it is, but they're singing this or shouting this. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by. Until the people you, brought, you bought pass by, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. So they begin to sing this song. It's a fascinating song that describes God's power being flexed on their behalf. I told you last week that what's interesting about Moses' song is that it is the same song mentioned in Revelation chapter 15. When Jesus Christ comes again, the righteous shall sing this song. It will be repeated. A song where we claim and remember what God has done for us. And we give him glory as a mighty power. Pretty cool, I think. They made up this chant, this dance, this song on the side of the Red Sea as they're watching God deliver them. It's a a good reason to sing. Think about it. Just on the other side of the river... They were facing certain death. It was either die in the water by drowning or stay here and get killed by the Egyptians. That was their situation. Sometimes we find ourselves in impossible situations and we think there's no way out of here. But every time you find yourself in that, know and understand that this is just an opportunity for God to show his mighty power. We like to say here in this church, our greatest challenges are God's best opportunities. Our greatest challenges are God's best opportunities. The Israelites were there. But then God delivered by Moses' faith. They did not believe. In fact, you remember what they said. Why? Was there no graves in Egypt? So you brought us out here to die? But Moses says, hang in there. God will deliver you today. And it so happens. So now just on the other side, they're saying, wow, I am seeing the power of God deliver us, save us from these impossible circumstances. And they began to sing. And they began to praise. Notice what happens. Verse 19. 
When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Here's where the victory dance comes from. Listen, verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and... Anyone? And dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Horse and rider, he is hurled into the sea. So they began to do a victory dance. I don't know how to do it. On the other side. Now, what's neat about this dance is they didn't do it on the other side of the shore. On the other side, it was more like, oh, we're going to die, we're going to die. God, why have you done this to us? But then God delivers. They see the Egyptians dying, and they're like, nah, 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 nah. It's, it's, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's easy to do a victory dance when somebody bigger's on your side, right? It's easy to show off when somebody bigger's on your side, and that's what's happening right here. They're on the other side of the Red Sea. God has flexed his mighty power, so they begin to sing and to dance, and they say, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, or like the song says, he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider, he's thrown into the sea. It's fantastic. It's, it's, it's a significant moment. And if you're a student of the Bible, you will recognize that all throughout the Old Testament, this is a moment that God continually points back to. In fact, every time, every time God has to establish his relationship, this is what he will say. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God who led you through the Red Sea on dry ground. God uses this moment to establish the relationship. In fact, God continues to say throughout the Old Testament, this is the God that I am. Remember, I'm the one who did this for you. You would think if you had lived through these moments, you wouldn't easily forget, right? I mean, have any of you ever walked through a similar situation? Any of you walked through dry ground? Has this ever happened to you? Anyone? You would think you would remember this victory dance in this moment. But notice what happens next. So they dance. They got the tambourines. Uh, uh, scholars believe it may have been the little, the one with the, no, it was more like a hand drum. So they were pounding the drum and dancing. And the women were all dancing and pounding. So if you do that at home when... You feel like victory dance. It's all right. They did it in the Bible. Just telling you it's okay. Miriam and all the women are saying, God is awesome. Banging on the drum, singing, dancing. And it must have lasted for a few days. I don't know. After being in such a predicament and walking through the water, they probably hung out there and partied for a while. Right? I mean, wouldn't you? You see all the Egyptians Mighty Egyptians destroyed. They were quite an empire, but all of them are destroyed. So they were like, woo, they're dancing, they're singing. But eventually the singing has to stop, right? When, when uh, the football team wins, there's a party, there's a parade, but eventually people go home. We move on. What's next? We don't know for how long they stay there, maybe a day or two. We're not quite sure. They party, they dance, they sang praises to God. And then it was time to get going. Look at what happens. Verse 22 
chapter 15. And then Moses led Israel, the people of Israel, from the Red Sea where they were, and they went into the desert of Shur. And for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water until they finally came to Marah. But they could not drink its water because it was bitter. After celebrating and watching God do all this stuff, they probably filled up their um, canteens or their little, I don't know what you call them, skins with water and getting ready because they knew they were on their way through the desert, but they figured they would come upon another stream or... Uh, or um, another oasis, so they filled up their little canteens and they began to walk. Moses had delivered on his promise. God is going to bless us. God's going to take care of us. God had come through. He said, stand firm and watch how I deliver. And he had in Egypt and now through the Red Sea. Now as they continue their journey, the Bible tells us that they walked for three days without finding an additional source of water. Surely, if you'd traveled through these regions, you would fill up your canteen, use up the water sparingly, and hopefully get to the next stop. But the first stop they came to, the first oasis, is called Mara. And the Bible tells us that when they got there, the water was bitter. The water was bitter. And the people began to grumble. Or in your version, it might say, murmur. And so the people began to grumble against Moses, saying, what are we going to drink? Let's stop here for a minute. <clears throat> Do you have anyone in your family who's a grumbler? A murmurer? You have anyone like that? Uh, let me explain to you what I mean. Let's say you're in the family car, you're going out to dinner or to some place, and somebody in the vehicle begins to murmur, how long is it going to take? Where exactly are we going? Am I going to like this place? Oh. Anybody have a murmur in your family? A murmur is someone who is continually displeased with whatever is going on, right? Somebody who has a temptation and a tendency to grumble. You know, like your stomach grumbles when it's hungry. They're like that. They just garble and garble and garble because they're unhappy about what's happening. That is what's going on right now. No one? There's no grumblers in your, if, if you don't have it in your family, because, oh, I see. Yeah, you don't have to point fingers. It's all right. You can nod or give me the wink. I'll know who it is. I'm sure you do. Maybe you have a grumbler at work. Maybe you have an employee that's constantly complaining about everything that's going on. Maybe you have a grumbler and a murmur at your church in your small group. Someone who is constantly upset. Because they didn't get their way. The Bible tells us that after three days, they finally, they had not complained up to this point, so we'll give them a little credit. But when they got to the first oasis, they tasted the water, and it was bitter. So they're like, we can't drink this. What are we going to drink? I don't know. I think if you'd gone three days in the desert and you came up to water, any water, you would just go for it, right? Salty, sweet. But apparently it was so bitter that the Israelites say, we refuse. We will not drink this water. What's interesting here is that they began to grumble about it. That shows you the kind of spirit that still exists within these people. 
They just got done doing this major victory dance and seeing God deliver dry ground, plagues, amazing things. But it's still not enough. Not enough. And isn't that just like us? God can deliver us from major issues in our lives. And the next time we hit a speed bump, we go, ah. And we begin to grumble against God. See, I knew I couldn't trust you. Where are you, God? And we begin to throw him to the side. In my mind, I think, if I had lived through these circumstances, surely when I got to a new place, I would have said to myself, if God can get us through those circumstances, surely he can figure this out. But that's not what they said. They did not say, let's ask God to give us clean water. They say, "Ah, what are we supposed to drink? I love it. So grumpy. What are we supposed to drink? What are we supposed to drink here? This This is bitter. We cannot drink this. And Moses, verse 25, cries out to the Lord. Moses was probably... You could understand if you have a grumbler in your family. Moses was probably up to here with them, right? Moses was probably, don't make me pull this car over. Don't make me go back there. Moses was probably upset because he had been hearing this long before. You recall on the other side of the sea, they had said, why did you bring us out here? Boo-hooing and this. And Moses said, Trust God. God will deliver. Trust God. But now just three days later, just three days, that's from here to like Tuesday. Can you imagine that? If God walked you through the Red Sea on Sabbath by Tuesday, they were already, God, three days. How long does your faith last? How long does your memory last when God has done something for you? Three days. And they're already ready to grumble and to complain. And the Bible tells us here that they not only grumbled against God, but against Moses, God's servant. You know what that means? It means that if you're ever going to do something for God as a leader, you can expect people to be unhappy about it. So I'm just letting you know. You can expect that people will be upset about it. Let's say you decide to represent God at your work. Let's say you decide to represent God in your family. Let's say you decide to represent God in your church. And you say, we're going to do this. We're going to follow God's instructions. As Moses was saying, Moses was saying, we're going to leave there. We're going to go here. Whenever you put yourself into that role, you can expect that somebody will grumble about it. So just hang in there. If they grumbled with Moses, they're going to grumble with you. At least that's what I tell myself. And they grumbled against Moses and against God, and they said, what are we to drink? And Moses cried out to God, and God showed him a piece of wood, and he threw this piece of wood into the water, and the water became sweet. See, because for God, nothing is impossible. Not even the bitterness that you have in your life. Whatever you are right now, whatever you're doing, whatever road you're on, whatever oasis you have come upon, if you're in a situation that is bitter, God can turn that from bitter 
to sweet. Why? Because he's God. Because he has the power. Because when we sing these songs and do victory dances, that's the, it's because we recognize what he's capable of. And if a God can part the Red Sea, surely he can get you a job. If God can destroy the enemy, surely he can help you overcome these challenges. If God can lead with a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night, surely he can show you the way. Moses says, God, help me out. These people. And God shows him a piece of wood and he throws it into the water and the water becomes sweet. But notice what happens here in the text. And then... God made a decree and a law for them, and he tested them. This phrase will reappear throughout the journey that the Israelites have from here until Canaan. God says, okay, people. The word the Bible uses is test. But God essentially says, I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going to give you a test. And look at what he says. God says, verse 26, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. God says, okay, so far you keep coming up on obstacles and you keep doubting that I can provide for you. Now I'm going to show you here. That made that bitter water into sweet and it says, okay, listen, this is how it's going to work. This is the system that I'm going to put in place. This is how I'm going to develop you because that's what tests do. They help grow your knowledge or your skill. God says, this is how we're going to establish our relationships. And this is the way the statement begins. If, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and you do what is right in his eyes, and if you pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees, I will not bring on you all the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. God says, this is how our relationship will work. I am going to give you some instructions. More than just suggestions, I'm going to call them commands, decrees. I'm going to give you an explanation of how I want you to live your life. And if you pay attention to that, God says, then I will keep you whole, healthy and whole. But the opposite is if you don't, then you will get diseases, the same things that happen to the Egyptians. Why would God say something like that? Why would God speak this kind of a test? See, if you were an Israelite, you were probably just dreaming of a better place to live. They lived in slavery. Moses had said, God wants to take us to a promised land. And said, good, take us there. I want to go from this situation to a better situation. From this house to a better house. We want to move it on up. They just wanted to change their circumstances. 
But God intended to do something entirely different. He wanted to change the relationship. And the same invitation is for you and me today. Many of us, sadly, have come into Christianity, into the Christian faith, with the idea that God simply is there to change our circumstances. Somebody told us along the way, if you start going to church, good things will happen to you. Or if you start checking off this list of good avenues things, somehow you will be more successful or wealthier. And while some of that may be true, God is not in the business of simply changing your circumstances. He is in the business of changing your heart. God wants to change us from the inside, not just the outside. And that's why... That's why, even though the Israelites keep coming across difficult circumstances, God says, I can fix that, I can fix that, I can fix that. But then God says, listen, this is what I'm really trying to do. I'm going to give you things, commands, decrees for how to live your life. Things that should impact your philosophy, the way you think. And if you do those things and follow my instructions there, he says, then I will keep you well. I will keep you whole. I will keep you healthy. Friends, does your health matter to you? Are you healthy? Are you well? Are you whole? Do you want to be? See, what God is promising here is more than just physical health. You and I know, if you're a grown-up, that from the moment you're, you're born, you're on a one-way track to your death, right? <laughs> hate to put it that way, but you know that it's true. And along the way, we're going to encounter difficulties. But what God is promising here is a healthy soul. And what a healthy soul is is that core and essence of you that trusts God no matter the circumstances, not even in the physical realm, because you are sure of what is true in the spiritual realm. And it is that health that allows you to live through circumstances that are adverse and difficult and challenging. It is that health, the trust and respect of who God is that allows us to survive with joy and with peace. And God is promising that. And it's relatively simple and straightforward. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes. You know why I'm reading this to you today? Because here's a fact for most of us. We live in a society and in a culture that does not believe in that. In fact, calls that statement ludicrous crazy. We live in a society, in a culture, in a country, the values, the exact opposite of the statement that I just read. The highest goal in American society is for you to obtain self-actualization. You know what that means? It means that you are true to yourself. You hear that phrase? Right? I'm just being me. Right? This is who I am. The highest goal in American subculture is that you should finally find your own identity, who you think you are, and be true to that. And everything built around our culture favors that. And we, 
you and I have gotten caught up into that mentality. So we seek to fulfill our lives and fulfill our dreams and fulfill our goals along that line of thinking. But the thing that is most important for me is to pursue my own happiness. Right? And when we encounter challenges, we say to our friends, don't you want me to be happy? That's the reason that we give for tough decisions that we make. Well, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore because I'm not happy. Right? Oh, I'm going to stop going to this church. Why? Because I'm not happy. The ultimate goal that we've created is our own self-fulfillment. Life according to me. That's what rules 2015 in the U.S. of A. But God is offering something radically different. The problem with making you happy is, you know this to be true, you're never happy. Anybody happy in here? Anybody remember the last time you were happy? Truly happy? You don't. We're all miserable. Let's be honest. Right? Let's be frank. I'm not telling you something you don't know. You're happy because a circumstance as well, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. But the moment, the moment you're like, oh, this is awesome, something bad happens. You know that to be true, especially if you're Filipino. <laughs> right? Or Asian or Hispanic. You know what my parents used to say when I was a kid? They said, oh, you're laughing now. You'll soon cry. It's a Spanish thing. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody with me? They're like, oh, you're laughing too hard. It's just a matter of moments before you're going to cry. And so we grew up understanding that this is a fact of life. You, your circumstances cannot be positive forever. The Israelites are living through that. They come out of Egypt and it's like, whoa, oh, Red Sea, another bastard. They get through the Red Sea, oh, oh, no water. You see what I'm saying? Life is going to face circumstances that change. And happiness is built on your emotional state in relationship to your circumstances. It's hard to be happy when you're getting a ticket. I know. You can put on, hello officer, thank you so much for this ticket, but you know you're not happy. God says here, God says here, if you listen to my voice and if you do what is right in my eyes, See, what's right in God's eyes is more often than not completely different from what's right in our eyes. Our sense of justice, our sense of fairness, our sense of what's true and good in the world oftentimes is ruled by our own interest. But God is different from that. So sometimes God will give you a decree that challenges your self-righteousness. Sometimes God will give you a decree that challenges your selfishness. Sometimes God will give you a decree that challenges your desires, the things that you like and the things that you think are good. The problem here is if we live life according to what we think is right, the outcome is always certain. You will not be happy you will not be fulfilled. And your circumstances will not always be good. So we doom ourselves to a cycle of unhappiness, unfulfilling. And God says, that's not health. Health is when you trust me 
even in the face of difficult circumstances. Because I can turn any bitterness in your life to something sweet. I can defeat any enemies at your door. I can deliver you from any bondage that you might be in. But you have to trust me. You have to follow my lead. I'm a volleyball coach at the academy. And uh, I love doing it because I enjoy volleyball and I like teaching. But teaching somebody to do something is hard, right? Right? Here's what happens, in, at least in my volleyball teams. I tell them, this is how you do it in order to get this result. And they look at me, they're like, okay. And I say, try it. And they will not try it. They want to do it their way. And I tell them, we can keep doing it your way, but you're going to get the same result. So do it this way. They're like, okay, coach. Okay, now you try it. And they do exactly what they, and as a coach, I'm like, why? Why? If you would just do what I'm asking you, it will get better. Sometimes I force them. I'm not making this up. It's true. Not all. I got some good ones too, but I force them. I'm like, I put my hands on their shoulders and I say like this. And we do it together. And I go, it's like magic. It worked. And they're like, wow. Okay, now you do it. And then do it that way. Some of you have, have come and watched me coach a game and you've seen what can happen to a pastor in these situations. I'm like Moses. Oh, God. These people. So I know that it's hard, but this is essentially what God is saying. You can keep trusting yourself. How's that going, by the way? Or you can listen carefully to my voice and do what is right in my eyes. I'm going to warn you, though. What's right in God's eyes is an affront to today's culture. When you do what is right in God's eyes, you are issuing a direct challenge to the culture of San Diego. A direct challenge to your schoolmates, workmates. But that's exactly what God has called us into. Do you know that we, the Adventist Church, believes we're part of the remnant church? Anybody know what that word means, the remnant the last remaining piece of the original. You know what that means? That we believe that in the end of times, the times that we are living, that we, you and I, will stand up for what God had originally mandated. For the kind of life, the kind of purpose, the kind of community that God had originally intended. But when we do that, we will challenge every other philosophy. We will challenge every other cultural value. We will challenge every other association and every other grouping because we're saying this is what God says. It's not what I want, but this is what God says. So God establishes this test. If you listen, if you listen, is God concerned about your health and well-being? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does he want you to be physically healthy? Oh yeah. That's why he's given us so many counsels, which by the way, I'm going to just tell you right now, we're going to get into in this fall. So if you don't want your health practices to be under challenge, don't come to church because we're going to deal with it, all right? We're going to get on it. I'm just telling you right now. But if you want to get healthier, it's time to look in the mirror and ask the tough questions. Am I listening to the voice of God? Am I doing what is right in his eyes? God says if you do that, you will be healthier. Not all your circumstances will change, but you will be healthier. And the most important piece of health that you'll have in your life is that you will know peace. That's why Moses says, don't be afraid. That's why Jesus says, trust in God, trust also in me. Moses says, be still. 
Be still. Isaiah says, it doesn't matter what's happening in my life. If I'm going through the rivers, passing through the fire, God will not let me be burned, for he will hold me in his righteous right hand. That is, that is the kind of health God wants to give you. In the face of circumstances, to know in your heart, God is not leaving your side. To not be tossed back and forth, uncertainty, oh, God loves me, God hates me. No, but to have a certain knowledge and a certain hope that no matter what you're going through, God will deliver you. Yes, sometimes miraculously in the physical world. Fire, healing. But more importantly, deliver your heart. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our own desires and our own habits and vices that have dominated us. Save us from the appetites that we have. Save us from the cycle of unending happiness and grumbling. So, do you want to go from bitter to sweet? The secrets are in here. The secrets are in here. God says, pay close attention. Pay close attention. And if you do that, I will be the one who heals you. I challenge myself and you to look closely at what God wants for our lives.